Well, good morning, Vertical Church. Mama's happy Mother's Day. At Vertical Church, we believe women and specifically moms, um, you're not interchangeable. You are not dispensable. You are uniquely crafted by God to be an indispensable uh, person and role, not only in your family, but in our church. And so we are just celebrating you this morning. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. And let me pray as we get into the word. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are so eager now to open up your word and thank you, Lord, that, that, that your word is timeless, it's truthful, and no matter what is happening or not happening in our lives, uh, you always meet us right there with your word. So meet us right here with your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Our culture is as religious as a culture that has ever existed. Now, we like to say things like, you know, you have your beliefs and I have mine. And I think everyone should just be free to live and believe how they want to. But, but contrary to what people say, we live in a culture with countless spoken and unspoken rules and laws that are tied to morality and therefore are religious. Just think of all of the areas of life where you face increasing judgment and social pressure. Take food, for example. For most of history, we've had lots of rules around sex, but very few regarding food. Today, we are laissez-faire about sex, but when you want to eat something, you better count the calories, cut the portion, no trans fat, gluten, MSG, or GMO. I mean, it's hard out there, right guys? Like, I just want to have breakfast, and you want a cup of coffee? Well, it better be free trade. You want eggs? It better be free range. Sausage? Better be hormone free. Bacon? Better not have nitrate. Greens? Better ha be organic. And, and it's not even enough to eat the right foods. Uh, if you are a socially conscious person, you should be concerned about the kind of life your food had before ending up on your plate. Did it live in a cage? Was it pumped with hormones? And, and obviously these are good things. Like I'm not taking a stance on the validity of the rules. I'm just noting that the rules are there and we all feel it. How about the environment? It wasn't long ago when, when a hurricane came that so-called Christian prophets would stand up and say, this is due to your sin. But today, when hurricanes come, secular prophets stand up and say, this is due to your carbon footprint. If you care at all about our environment, you should drive a hybrid or at least a low emission vehicle. And if you don't, you are to blame for the hole in the ozone and deforestation and the plight of the polar bears. And you guys, there's just laws on laws. How about parenting? Parents everywhere feel immense pressure to feed their kids the right food, bring them to the right doctors, enroll them into the right schools. Moms especially, I have too many kids, I don't have enough kids, I should be nursing, I should use formula, my baby should be sleeping on his stomach, my baby's stomach will never touch anything ever. Mamas, if you love your kids, you better do a home birth, no epidural. As soon as you get home, turn on baby Mozart, sign them up for piano lessons. Well, that'll make them soft, so let's do soccer. Well, actually, that's going to defeat their confidence. And 
we are living in a devoutly religious society. We are post-Christian, but we are not post-religion. Law lives everywhere. Even with COVID, isn't it amazing how, how fast CDC recommendations, wash your hands, cover your mouth, stay six feet away from people, have turned into moral imperatives. If you don't, you are, ipso facto, a bad person. We live in a devoutly religious society. We're encapsulated within the environment of countless pressures, countless rules, countless laws. And hear me, we carry all of that into our relationship with Jesus. The biggest issue in your walk with Jesus is not your breaking the law. Listen, it's you still trying to keep it. It's not that you're too bad. It's the illusion that you can be good. That's the biggest issue in your relationship with Jesus. For all of us, the biggest hindrance of our experience and enjoyment of Christ is not our lawlessness, but our lawfulness. And the surprising truth of the gospel is that when we look at, at the world, with all of its pressures and rules and laws, only Christians get set free. Christianity is not a better religion. Christianity is God's alternative to religion. The gospel does not call us to a better religion. It calls us to leave behind religion altogether. And I believe God wants us to do that today through the book of Galatians. So open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Meet me there. The central message of Galatians is that we are made right with God based solely on what Christ has done rather than what we can do. Or to put it negatively, Galatians says, if you add anything to the gospel, you lose everything about the gospel. To add anything to it is to take it away entirely. And if you've been in church for any time, you, I hope you have heard that message before. And we, we always talk about being saved by grace through faith, but, but we always talk about that in terms of your conversion, right? We say, I, I know, man, I'm not saved by anything I can do. I'm saved only by what Jesus has done. But, but listen, Galatians isn't written to non-Christians wondering how to get saved. This book is written to people who are saved, who have heard the gospel, who have loved the gospel, who have embraced the gospel, but who keep slipping back into the law. They're, they're saved, but they're now living their lives like, like God's love for them and God's approval of them and God's joy in them fluctuates with how they behave. They know God loved them but they thought, and now, if I disobey God, he loves me less. And if I obey him, he loves me more. And because that is an assault on the very heart of Christ, in Galatians, Paul's coming in hot. You guys, he is angry. 
And he just goes in on the Galatians. Galatians 1, verse 6, he just jumps in. It says this, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Hear that. If you add anything on top of the grace of Christ, you haven't turned to a contorted gospel. You've turned to a completely different gospel. And he continues in chapter 3. Meet me at chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit of Christ by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Here's the central question of the entire book of Galatians, and it's our central problem, Galatians 3.3. Paul asks, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's the chronic disease that forfeits the gospel and kills all of your joy in Jesus. Having begun by the Spirit, do you now need to perfect yourself in your own strength? Having been saved, do you now need to do the rest? Do you now need to live like a really strong Christian that people look up to and admire? Do you have to be a good steward with this grace that God has bestowed upon you? I call it a chronic disease because it's not something we just think. You guys, it's something we are. Look at Galatians 3 verse 10. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So that's a good rendering, but the original text literally reads, As many as are of works of law are under the curse. As many as are of works of law are under the curse. It's not just that we do works, we're of works. It's so deep within us that it's actually of us. We have a lawish heart and it's so sucking the joy out of life with Jesus that you guys, it's a curse. One of my heroes in church history is John Newton. Newton was a slave trader and Jesus miraculously saved him. And he got really famous for writing a lot of songs, one of them being Amazing Grace. Um, And he was a pastor and a preacher. And and interestingly, people uh, who saw his preaching said it was rather unimpressive. Uh, I wonder how that feels. But um, where God used him most was in writing letters. So Newton wrote hundreds of letters to his friends and uh, they have just been gifts to the church for hundreds of years now. And in one of his letters, Newton writes this, Are you not amazed sometime that you should have so much as a hope that poor, needy as you are, the Lord thinks of you? Let not all you feel right now discourage you. Our sins are many, but his mercies are more. Our sins are great, but his righteousness is greater. We are weak, but he is power. And now listen to this. 
And most of our complaints are owing to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. Newton says our complaints. That's an 18th century way to say our discouragements, our um, cold hearts, our bad days, our dry seasons. Most of what is keeping us down is owing to unbelief and the remainder of a legal spirit. Your biggest problem is your lawish heart. We're legalists, you guys. Legalism is the subtle attempt to leverage Christ's love and favor with your own behavior. Legalism completely filters our perception of Christ's heart according to how we are spiritually performing. And performance, it's just the air we breathe. And it's the single reason you feel like God is disappointed and annoyed with you. It's the the single reason you feel like God might love you, but he certainly doesn't like you. It's the single reason you feel like you might make it to heaven, but you're going to get there just by the skin of your teeth. Performance filters out the felt love of Christ. So how do we get free from it? How do we get free from, from our lawish hearts? How do we get free from this propensity to perform? Only lavish love. The big idea this morning is only his lavish love can relax my lawish heart. Only his lavish love can relax my lawish heart. And that message comes from Galatians 2.20. Turn over to Galatians 2.20. I encourage you to memorize this verse. The way you live your life from here on out depends on if you get Galatians 2.20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Point one, I will feel his heart when I believe my punishment is past. I will feel his heart when I believe my punishment is past. See it in the text. I have been crucified, past tense, with Christ. Okay, so that's a weird thing to say. What does Paul mean? Well, remember, the Bible hardly ever refers to us as Christians. Rather, around 163 times, it talks about us as being those in Christ, or here in Galatians 2.20, those with Christ. Theologians call this union with Christ, and it means God has so removed every barrier between you and Him that you are now actually in Christ. The Bible says we were buried with him. We have been baptized with him. We are united with him. We are seated with him, that he's in us, that we are in him. It's all different ways to say Christ has moved so close to you, believer, that the only way to describe you now is in him. When you place your faith in Jesus at that very moment, Jesus becomes no longer just a distant historical figure, 
Christ becomes your new address. So right now, you are in two places. You are in your house, but more ultimately, you are in Christ. And and this is not just a metaphor or an illustration in a way that transcends our understanding. Ephesians chapter 3 calls this the great mystery of the gospel. In a way that transcends our understanding, we are actually joined spiritually and bodily to the crucified and risen Christ. Guys, this is why the cross means everything to us. If you're like, how does Jesus dying on a cross 2,000 years ago in a distant country mean that now I get to walk around pretending like God and me are good? Like, how does that happen? It happens because of two infinitely precious words right here in the text. With Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. The reason the cross means everything to us is because in God's sight, every Christian was truly there with him. Every Christian was truly there with their sin. And when Jesus was condemned, he was condemned only because you and your sin were truly there in him. And so when he died, you died. If you are in Christ, in God's eyes, your time of death is A.D. 33 on the cross with Christ. At the cross, Jesus was judged because and only because sinful you and I were there with him. And God's wrath for your sins, all of your sins, your past sins, your present sins, and yes, your future sins, all of God's wrath was poured out and satisfied in Christ on the cross. So, so loved one, there's nothing you can do that wasn't in him on the cross. The cross transcends time. So it sucked up all the sins of Old Testament believers. So it sucked up all the sins of people who trusted in God's grace before Jesus showed up. And it sucked up all the sins of people who trust in God's grace after Jesus lived. It sucked up all the sins of God's people because all of God's people were right there being crucified with Christ. And then Jesus died. And when he died, the sinful you the liable to judgment you, the you that should be condemned, uh, the you that God felt anger and holy hatred toward, that you died there on the cross with Christ. Do you see that in the text? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. If you are in Christ, you just need to start believing that your punishment is past. Truly, decisively, finally, in Christ, past. Galatians 2.20 says, The deepest truth about you 
is not your ups and downs. It's not your failings and fallings. Those things don't define you. Those things defined Jesus on the cross. What defines you now, Christian, is that God has located you safely and securely in Christ. So if you will ask Jesus to exchange places with you, to deal with your sin, then you just don't have to do a dang one more thing as long as you live to receive God's full and free approval. If you lived a million years of sinless perfection, you would not be any more accepted than you are right now simply trusting in the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. So just let your lawish heart fall back and relax in his lavish love. When you feel like God is angry with you and annoyed with you and disappointed in you, you are rejecting the finished work of Christ. When you think God resents you because of your habitual fallings and your repetitive failings, I know that looks and feels godly because God hates sin. But in reality, you guys, that's unbelief in Jesus and in what Jesus has done. That is not godly and pious. It's unbelief and it's sinful. In fact, that's a greater sin than whatever you just did that you think he resents you for. That's unbelief in who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's a greater sin than whatever you just did because only the sin of rejecting the cross can send you to hell. You see, most of us live like, I might be saved, but this unrestored me keeps showing up and overshadowing the restored me. The the sinful me keeps getting in the way between me and God and defining the relationship. But Galatians 2.20 says it's just the opposite. The cross defines the relationship. Because you were crucified with Christ on the cross, now the restored you swallows up the unrestored you. The redeemed you outstrips the unredeemed you. And because you are in Christ, God now only views you through the cross. The old Princetonian J. Gresham Machen put it like this, quote, Christ will do everything or nothing. Either you earn your salvation if your obedience to the law is perfect or You trust entirely to Christ's completed work on the cross, but you cannot do both. You cannot combine merit and grace. If justification, even in the slightest measure, is through human merit, then Christ died in vain. (sighs) Loved one, you can just stop performing because you're punishment is past. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you are in Christ, 
You are a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. And this new creation, you, it isn't just you. This is amazing, guys. Look back at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Praise God. It's no longer I who live. Praise God. Now see this. But Christ who lives in me. Point two, I will feel his heart for me. Like I'll really feel it when I believe to my Savior is present. Galatians 2.20 says two things. You were with Christ on the cross, so you're embraced. And now it's saying, and Christ is in you now, so you're empowered. And, and guys, just side note here, remember, the man who wrote verse 20 did not have a hypothetical Savior. In Acts 9, Jesus showed himself to Paul with such radiant glory that he literally burned his eyes out. So Paul isn't just doing theology here. He's not playing or toying with an idea. He's experiencing and enjoying day-to-day -day reality with the real risen Christ who met him on that Damascus road. So here's the question. What would happen if you and I just stopped trying to perform for God? if we just handed in our resignation this morning from trying to perform. I mean, what does God have for people who have tried to live up to their potential, but have failed and failed and have never reached it? What happens when we set up a law for ourselves and we try to keep it every day, day after day, and after 10 years of trying and failing, you eventually just collapse in defeat. What then? Well, then your Savior moves in. Law-keeping and rule-following is our prideful attempt to keep Christ at a distance. It's saying, no, no, you just stand over there. I'll take your salvation, but I can do the rest on my own. But when you give up the attempt of trying to make yourself impressive to God, and you just bring to him all of your disappointments and regrets and embarrassments. Well, when you bring to him just the bombed out wreckage that is your performance record. And when you realize he's there for you, as he always has been. And you realize your sins and your failings don't move him to anger, but move him to tenderness. then Christ becomes profoundly near and dear. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a moment by moment, relaxing back into, I am in Christ, so I am loved. And Christ is in me, so I can live. I can live now. He came to give me life and life to the full. He says, it's, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me right here. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So there's only two ways to live here, guys. You can live in the flesh or you can live by faith. Living in the flesh is performing. 
Living by faith is relaxing back into the performance of the Son of God. And when you start doing that, and you start letting the cross define the relationship, then Jesus becomes profoundly present in every moment of your life because you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to reflex back. You can lean in. So when you're making morning coffee at a deeper level, right there at the kitchen counter, Christ is living in you. When you're driving to work in heavy traffic at the truest level, Christ is right there. When you're sitting on the couch doing absolutely nothing in the most ultimate and lasting sense, Christ is there. Listen, even when you're sinning, Christ is there. Christianity is Christ in you, Christ with you, and Christ for you. And he's there to supply all you'll ever need. And he's there to restore you when you fall again. And he's there to preach the cross after every failure. And he's there to energize you while you live. And he's there to calm you when you die. He's there to love you. And he's there to glorify himself in loving you. And if you're just wondering, how do I qualify for this? You don't and you can't. Trying to qualify will only further disqualify you. We can never purchase his grace. We just keep living on his welfare. How did we become Christians? Well, we received Jesus. How do we now live as Christians? We keep on receiving Jesus with his lavish love flowing endlessly into our lawish hearts. Only his lavish love can relax your lawish heart. But maybe you feel like, you know, I know God loves people. I just, I'm just not convinced that he loves me. Guys, I felt that for years. I knew God loved people. Of course he loves people. I just don't think he loves Chris Osmus. And if you feel that, let Galatians 2.20 just settle that today. See it in the text. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith, see it in the text, who loved me and gave himself for me. Point three, I will feel his heart when I believe his love is personal. His love is personal. In Gentle and Lowly, the book we've based this entire series off, Dane Ortland writes it like this. Think of a vent in your bedroom that's connected to your furnace. If you keep that vent closed on a cold winter day, the heat will circulate through the ducts in your home, but you won't experience the warmth because you're closing it off. The heat is there waiting to be accessed, but you're closing it off. Only opening the vent will flood your room with warmth. 
And it's the end of Galatians 2.20 that is the vent. Most of us believe God loves people. Most of us don't believe God loves us. And the basis for that belief is, as Newton diagnosed, our legal spirit, our lawish heart. He doesn't love me because just look how I'm living. You don't think God likes you. You don't think God enjoys you. You don't think God celebrates you because you still think your sins and your struggles are defining the relationship. You still think his heart toward you fluctuates according to your obedience. And I'm just so glad to declare this morning that if you are in Christ, his heart is fixed through Christ's perfect obedience. You see, Christ's obedience defines the relationship. There's only two ways to follow Jesus, you guys. There's only two ways to live the Christian life. You can live for his love, performance, or you can live from his love, gospel. You can live for his approval or you can live from his approval. You can live for Christ or you can live in Christ, just enveloped and ensphered in his love and in the accomplished work of the cross. And Galatians 2.20 says, Live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. For you. If you're watching me and hearing my voice, for you. His love is not generic. It's not... Um, general. It is personal. Isaiah 49, 16 says, your individual name is inscribed on the palm of his hand. Revelation 13, 8 says, before the foundation of the world, God wrote your actual name in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. And Galatians 2, 20 now says, the son of God died because he loved you. Maybe you turned on this message this morning for, in hopes of some kind of pep talk, just to fire you up so you can go try again this week, and this is just no pep talk. This is a call to surrender. This is a call to lay down arms and just let them love you. The gospel is the invitation to let the heart of Christ calm us into joy for we've already been discovered and included and brought in. We can bring our up and down moral performance into subjection to the settled fixedness of what Jesus feels about us. What's the What's the message of Galatians 2.20? Ortland sums it up best. The message of Galatians 2.20 is that, quote, Our sins darken our feelings of his gracious heart, but his heart can never be diminished for his own people due to their sins 
any more than the sun's existence can be threatened due to the passing of a few wispy clouds or even an extended thunderstorm. The sun is shining. It cannot stop. Clouds, no clouds. Sin, no sin. The tender heart of the Son of God is shining on me. This is unflappable affection. What Galatians 2.20 teaches us is that the Son of Christ's heart, not the clouds of my sin, is what defines me. So vertical church, because we have lawish hearts, we are pridefully resistant to his lavish love. But as the Puritan John Flavel wrote, why should you be such an enemy to your own peace? Why read over the evidences of God's love to your soul? Why do you want to turn off these comforts which are due to you in Christ? Because he loves you and gave himself to you. Listen, all of his heart and all of the gospel and all 10 trillion blessings that will come to you through the gospel are yours right now and it's settled through Christ. So this week, stop performing. Just let your lawish heart relax back into his lavish love. Stop performing and trust that through Christ, your punishment is past, your Savior is present, and his love is personal.